Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show for today, April 20th, 2017. I'm Eric Devin and joining me here today is Adam White. Nathan Staples is away this week. Uh, do be sure to follow us on Twitter at GFFN. Visit our website on www.getfootballnewsfrance for all the latest from around French football. We'll have a brief run-through of the scores from this weekend's European matches before we get started on a preview of the league's upcoming fixtures. Uh, before we do, we do have one league on result that was rescheduled. Paris Saint-Germain left it late to beat Mets 3-2 in a rescheduled league on match on Tuesday, keeping the pressures on leaders Monaco. In European news, Monaco beat Dortmund at the side Louis Dill yesterday 3-1 to progress 6-3 on aggregate. And Lyon, meanwhile, went to penalties with Besiktas and won 7-6, meaning that they as well will be in the semifinals of their respective European competition. A draw for both of those does take place tomorrow. So let's start with Monaco's win. Uh, Adam Thomas Lamar was imperious, but did Thomas Tuchel get it wrong from the start by playing Eric Durham, considering this was the wingback's first match in more than a month? I think possibly. Yeah, I, I think he possibly did. I, I have a feeling that after the first leg, um, Tuchel had a few decisions to make, and he, he switched back to, to front of the back and was well, more defensive style, perhaps, perhaps surprisingly so, given that they needed to, to score some need to score goals in this game. They need to score, you know, two at least from the start to go through. Um, and I, I was expecting a lot more from Dortmund. I think in that game, and that terms um, so, you know, he's really, still relatively young. He's still only twenty-four, and he's he's missed a few games. He's been in and out of the side, not had the best of the best of seasons. But you would have thought that couple of decisions that he made perhaps Durham being one of them perhaps the fact that um, Dembele didn't start were, were two really big missteps I was amazed not to see Dembele in a team after the effect he had in the first leg and how how good in France you know we know he can be so and he was brilliant when he came on and you know rightly so introduced after sort of 20-25 minutes so yeah I was a little bit surprised with Thomas Tuchel yesterday I felt like they, they, they needed to to attack and they needed to score the goals and Need to need to really look to score those goals, and and it was a little bit of an odd choice in more than more than one ways. I would like to see Gonzalo Castro playing as so well. I think he's a very very good player in in midfield. And um, we didn't see really get the best out of Royce or Aubameyang yesterday. They were a little bit lacklustre Dortmund, which is a little bit of a surprise. I'm I I, I think Thomas was a very good manager, but I'm he did very well at Mainz, obviously, and you know he's he's a really sort of cerebral guy, and he really really to think about the game, and he he comes he's you know tactically very astute. But I haven't really seen enough at Dortmund from from him this from this this season to say that you know he, he's going to be hitting the ground running at big clubs for the rest of his managerial career so perhaps a little bit a little bit um some poor choices perhaps from him yesterday but you have to say Monaco were absolutely absolutely brilliant and fully deserved their win and Tom Lamar has been absolutely fantastic this season from from start to finish in my opinion he's, he's still underrated as well in my opinion and he was great yesterday there was a number of great performances but yeah a couple of odd choices from Tuchel yeah, I think Didier Deschamps might be one person who underrates Lamar, at least in yeah. starts on left for France. Yeah, I thought it was surprising myself. I, I think that we saw a, a really high level of dynamism from Dortmund when they switched to sort of three slash four at the back and used Pulisic and Guerrero as genuine wingers. Mm. Uh, but to, to persist with a three four two one, I understand uh, that Royce has a little bit more experience than a lot of his teammates at this level, haven't been with the club for as long as he has, longer than and most of them, that is, due to their ages and experience, and to want a little bit more experience in attack. But it was surprising. I, I think I think we hit you hit the nail on the head there. Guerrero wasn't nearly as effective uh, playing wide on the left as he had been in the previous match. Uh, I think Pulisic was pretty underwhelming coming on as well, coming on late. Surprised that he he wasn't used more earlier to try and turn the tide of the game. 
But yeah, it's some really strange choices by Tuchel. Uh, I think that we have to give Dortmund a break on the way that things have affected them in the recent past. But at the same time, if Tuchel's not getting it right tactically, there's there's a little bit less sympathy there uh, for not doing the simple things right. I, I did think that that if he had played Weigel as a as a holding midfielder and in a four one four one to give a little bit more natural width across the pitch, there would have been there would have been more to there would have been more to to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's kind of what I was expecting when I saw the team as well. I'm. I'm still. I know that Aguero's had a great season for them. He's been absolutely fantastic. But given you know watching him at Dortmund, seeing him playing at that left wing back and Dermot the side, I don't know. I, I felt perhaps there was the opportunity is to. It's kind of playing into Monaco's hands that they can make use of those spaces and exploit those spaces behind the wing backs. And I don't know that Derm or Guerrero in those two positions. I know Guerrero's played a lot in central midfield this season. Really, really sort of fit the bill for the type of team that Monaco are. It was sort of like they didn't adapt to Monaco's style. If you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Guerrero, I know we've seen him being played at both at left wing and at left back for both Khan and Lorient in Liga. But I think that in this case, again, yeah, the space in behind, particularly with Mendy back on, and Mendy didn't have a great match. He, he still looks a little bit off the boil coming back from that injury to cause him to miss the first leg. I think that we should look at, uh, look at this being generally a tactical misstep from Dortmund. But perhaps a lesson learned. I mean, it's not that this team had had to deal with quite a bit of injuries. Shirley still out. Sahin's missed a good chunk of the season. Rice as well. Things are certain to look up for Dortmund. They look just about assured for, for another Champions League finish, and hopefully we can see more of them. I think that there's a lot to be said for a team that that, that does try and build in such a, a young, through, through youth and, and through promising younger players. Uh, if they can hold on to Aubameyang, I have no doubt that they can be a continued force in the Champions League next season. But turning our attention now uh, to Monaco, Am- Amami Torre was a player who was imperious both going forward and in defense, uh, constantly using his size to, to clear the ball. Chibro uh, Sidibe has been injured, uh, obviously, with, this pen- with appendicitis, but you know, playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, have the youngsters' performances in the last 10 full of matches made him the first choice for the biggest matches going forward no matter what? I'm asking this not only from his attacking ability, which is you know, he's perhaps not as depth at the ball at his feet, but he's certainly as, as direct as Sidibe. But he's also quite a bit more assured defensively. Uh, so who should start for you, say, in the Champions League semifinal if both players are fit? I think it's definitely an interesting question. I, I have to still say Jibble Sidibe is, it should be first choice because he's had a brilliant season. Uh, you know, overall, he's perhaps shown that he's the more... The more comfortable in this in this situation, and it was a very high pressured game, and it was you know Torre had a fantastic fantastic performance. But Sidibe has shown that he can be consistent in, in bigger matches, and, and has that a little bit more experience. I mean, he's twenty four, and he's 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 played a few big games for Lille, and obviously for Monaco this season. But I think the best thing about Torre's performance yesterday is that should Leon lose Mendy or Sidibe, even both of them over the summer, is that they've got that ready ready made replacement that they know can step in and do the job. Uh, equally as well, perhaps even better in the long in the long run. So I think his performance was, was in both legs was a massive positive for for Monaco and for Jardim, not just for this season. Assuming perhaps you know Sidibe and Mendy might even get injured again, you know they know they've got that able replacement, but for next season as well, because you feel like they've 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 already got that 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 man waiting in the wings, and will, as a result can perhaps take a big fee for Mendy or Sidibe and and just slot Tori in a bit sort of a bit sort of organically if you like. So. I still think Sidibe should be first choice. I think overall he's the more dynamic, 
the more sort of you know trusted member of that squad at the moment but Tory's a really good replacement so they haven't got any worries if either of those players get injured again and next season who knows you could be we could be talking about Tory this time next year as a, in a very similar position to Mendy or Sidibe so really impressed with him and I think he could be a really good player for them you know going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Tori is just 20 years old. He is Malian, but is eligible for France. He has not declared for either country yet. So that's certainly something to watch, I think, especially in the way he's stepped into the, into the breach in the first team in the last month or so. So uh, keeping with this, Monaco's progression means their fixture congestion continues unabated, with potentially 11 matches to play before the season's end, should they progress in both the Champions League and the Coupe de France. Given the seeded placement that they could earn for winning the league, they'd be one of the top eight seeds as a, as a league winner. Uh, should, there, should that be their priority, the league, over the Champions League? Or do you see that Leonardo de Chardim has a way to, to, to balance this uh, going forward? It is a very difficult balancing act, isn't it? 11 games for nine this season, considering they've already played, what, six this month? They'll play a seventh at the weekend. You know, they've played another seven in February, six in January, six in December. They've had a very, very busy season. As we've discussed before on the pod, their their squad isn't the the deepest. I mean, they've got they've got replacements that we like to as you mentioned. Martini is a fantastic replacement for any of those midfielders. Deraz is a very able deputy as well. Bashilia had some really good games before he got injured. You know, the the, the squad has has options, but not necessarily depth the way that PSG's does, or perhaps even like Leon's does in attacking areas at least. So a balancing act is going to be really difficult. But I think given they've made it to the semi-finals of the Champions League. I think the way they're playing, the, you know, the outclass Dortmund yes, yesterday and they, they or this, both legs, really, they were the better side over both games and they're in a, with a genuine shot of winning the Champions League. So to say perhaps they might prioritise the league to get a better seeding, perhaps, um, might be a little bit counterproductive given that they're in the Champions League now and they're at the semi-final stage. You, you would hope that that would be something that they'd at least treat as equal to the league in terms of priority. I think for Monaco, they just they just have to go for it. They have to go for both competitions. They haven't got any choice. Winning either of them or even a final appearance in the Champions League would be a huge achievement for the squad, given given where they came from last season. They were very sort of dour last season. And at times, they didn't score too many goals. Um, but Jardim's really stepped up this season in terms of the way he set out his his 11s. And they've been, they've been Europe's best team in, in, much, in many ways this year. With the, how exciting they've been, the goals they've scored, the style of play, the way they've played, the players that have broken through. And... I think they just have to carry that momentum through and accept the fact they're going to have lots of games. And yes, their players are going to get tired, but they're going to have to sort of pinpoint those perhaps areas in certain league games where maybe they're going to they're going to drop off a little bit and then they're going to be able to sort of rest. They're going to have to try and manage it game by game more than picking a, a competition to, to prioritise. Because I generally think they can win them both. I think they could win a treble. I, I really do. So... I think they're just going to have to accept that they've got lots of fixtures and they're going to have to try and plough through as much as best they can and, and manage it on a game-by-game -game basis. If, they, if they're sort of two or three and up in league game, as they often are, then perhaps not, as they, as, they, you know, as they often do, press for those fourth or fifth goals or really keep pressing and really keep attacking, try and shut games out a little bit earlier and try and rest like that would probably be a better, better idea because you know, winning either of these competitions would be huge for them. So that they, have to, they really have to press on with both, I think. Yeah, it's it's certainly a tough thing to look at. I, I think the Leon this this weekend. I know that Leon had beaten them earlier in the league in this season. Uh, are certainly going to be no easy ask, even after having a lot of those players haven't played 120 minutes. But it, it does look like Leon might be missing Lacazette. He was forced off injured. For those of you who didn't watch Leon's match against Besiktas, it appeared that he twisted his knee as he took a shot uh, towards the end of normal time. So certainly a lot of conflicting factors. Their match against Saint Etienne is tentatively scheduled. 
for it has not sorry has not yet been rescheduled. So that's one to look out for as well. Uh, there has been some intimation that it could be played this midweek with the Cup, Coupe, de, Coupe de France semifinal pushed even further into the future, uh, perhaps between to between match days 37 and 38 to prevent any potential conflicts with the Champions League. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that the loss of Guido Carrillo and, and Bushili has been huge, uh, given, but I think that Monaco's players have shown a lot of versatility, and I think that that's something that we really should, shouldn't, shouldn't discount. Uh, John Moutinho, as you mentioned, I, I think that whether he replaces Fabinho, whether he replaces Bakayoko, the role that he's asked to do in each of those positions is, is quite different. Uh, and it's it's been impressive to see him adapt to that. Uh, Fabinho is breaking up play a little bit more, whereas Bakayoko is a bit more dynamic, a bit more one to get forward with the ball. But uh, Moutinho is able to adapt to them both. And, you know, similarly, looking at Am- Amami Torre, perhaps he's not quite as attack-minded as Sidibe, but he's able to balance things out when he comes in. Uh, same thing with Valerie Germain. He's a capable option off the bench. We, we had seen earlier in the season how important he was uh, in getting Monaco through those playoff rounds when they were missing Falcao. So hopefully that continues to be the case. It's not going to be easy, uh, but I, I do think that, you know, if they perhaps – the league's just so tough. I mean, PSG breathing down their necks, there's no room to slip up there. They, I mean, they could afford to lose one game and still be ahead on goal difference, but – you know, I, I think that Monaco have a bit more of an intimidating run-in, uh, given that match, even against Saint-Étienne. I know they're out of form, but they can be tough defensively. Uh, and Lyon as well. I think those are matches of the, the sort of ilk that PSG will exactly envy, uh, even though PSG do have Nice still to play. Uh, so just to conclude our Champions League discussion here, um, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and Juventus remain as opponents in the Champions League. I've seen the general consensus on social media seems to be that Juventus would be the draw to avoid. Real Madrid looks the most favorable. I would probably agree with that, Adam. I wondered if you had any thoughts on that either way. It's <laughs> it's, it's not the best of, of choices at those three teams. I, I think for Monaco, I actually think those three teams are, are pretty equal. And the Real Madrid are, you know, looking to retain the, the, the Champions League and they're possibly going to win La Liga again. And you know, they've got some outstanding players, obviously. And but I have a feeling that their style might suit Monaco's a little bit more because Monaco aren't going to change the way they play. At least you hope they wouldn't change it too much because that four four two that they played makes them who they are in this season. They need, they need to keep that up and you know be true to themselves. But I have a feeling that Juventus and Atletico Madrid have the capabilities to kind of counteract that a little bit more than Real Madrid might or even want to. You'd expect Real Madrid to be a team that are going to be attacking and be on the front foot, which might leave space for, for Monaco if they're you know, going to counter-attack and they're going to look, look for those opportunities in wider areas. Then there might be a bit more space for Monaco playing against Real Madrid, whereas Atletico Madrid and Juventus are so much more streetwise and they're going to, you know, as soon as they get any sort of lead, they're going to, they're going to you know, they're, they're masters of the dark arts, aren't they, both of those teams. You look at sort of Benucci and Chiellini at the back and Godin and uh, uh, Atletico Madrid, you know, they, they would relish playing up against like, Mbappe and Falcao because that they would they would that's the kind of the kind of battle they absolutely relish and and Real Madrid perhaps are the, the more f- sort of forward thinking you know team that would have, have pressure to attack uh, the be the onus on them would be to to, to to take the initiative so perhaps that might suit Monaco a little bit more but the fact that I'm saying Real Madrid is probably the best start for them is is obviously a little bit facetious because they're probably the best team left in it but. There's there's no easy games obviously at this competition is uh, this stage of competition and any game would be ridiculously difficult for for any of the four sides any four sides have been it it's a great semi final lineup so for Monaco I think they just have to take the chances whoever they get and and stay true to the way they're playing and and have faith that 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 will uh, see them into the final. All right, 
I can't say I would disagree with that. So now let's turn our attention to the match that just concluded. That is Leon, who lost 2-1 at Besiktas, but that was enough to see the match two extra time into penalties. And after a series of fairly well-struck penalties, uh, Anthony Lopez made a couple of saves, and Leon did prevail 7-6 on penalties after a 3-3 tie on aggregate. So I, we were talking a little bit before the show, and I think we had somewhat differing opinions on the sh- on the on the match mm. for different for different reasons. I saw the match as being a little bit sloppy. I saw Leon's finishing being a little disappointing. Mukhtar Diakabi had a lot of chances from set pieces. Uh, Lacazette had a handful of chances on the break. Uh, neither of them were able to do a whole lot. Lacazette's goal was really well taken. I will give him credit for that, but. What was your assessment of this match of the tie overall? For me, it was a matter of perhaps luck evening out. Uh, Leona perhaps a little bit lucky to avoid conceding more from set pieces in that first leg, but uh, we're done in by that uh, in this leg. But you know, perhaps live by the sword, die by the sword. Uh, Besiktas were unable to convert uh, uh, their chances in this in this as well as they would have liked. Yeah, I, I think... I, th- I think, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. It was, there was definitely some sloppy finishing on the play from both Lee and Besiktas. How, how Taliska's missed that chance towards the end is, is beyond me. But um, overall, I think Leon deserved to go through over the, over the course of the tie, and especially in this leg. I, I thought, given the, the trouble last week and obviously at Bastia at the weekend and, and the very, very difficult place to go that, that, that Besiktas is, and I imagine many people listening would have seen the footage of the Besiktas fans keeping the Leon, or attempting at least to keep the Leon players awake last night. You know, it's not, it's not the easiest place to go. And without away fans, they, you know, it was, it was a cauldron at Besiktas as it often is. And I was really impressed with Leon in, in a number of ways. I agree with you that their, their finishing was a little bit wayward at, at times, especially after Lacazette went off but I think they were they were sort of confident and and they played they moved the ball really well going forward they had they played with intensity and they outplayed Besiktas for long spells they were the better side at Besiktas in in the second leg and how they've lost the game 2-1 in at least in the 90 minutes on, on the night is is beyond me I, I felt they created enough chances and we said they were a little bit sloppy at the finishing but overall that I thought the it was a great away performance. They, they knew when to soak up pressure, knew when to dial it down and, and sit back a little bit. Okay, they conceded chances too, but you have to. I think, given the circumstances, it was an absolutely fantastic performance from 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 a, from a number of perspectives. They could have killed the game off. Lacazette hitting that, hitting the post, the inside post in the first half. Um, his his first finish for his for his goal was absolutely brilliant. They had other chances as well. But I think overall they'll be re- obviously they'll be excited to be in the semi-finals. But they can also be really really pleased with the performance. I I felt like they they really went there and and they they did the job they they that they would have set out to themselves out to do. So I think yeah, it's definitely some sloppy sloppy finishing. But they were the better side and they they they, they there are patterns to their play. Besiktas kind of relied on Taliska and and Charisma to kind of create something. But Leon looked like a team that were going to create chances. Um, no matter what, to be honest, even though they even though they didn't really take all of them, obviously they missed quite a few, like the blatant chances. But overall, I thought it was a, a really really good performance from from them, and they'll be really really pleased with both obviously the result and and the the solid away display when they go to the semi-finals if they play Celta or Ajax or even Manchester United, they can be confident going into those games that they've already dealt with this one. And as we said, penalties were absolutely brilliant for for the most part, apart from Jales. And I, as I said to you beforehand, before we were discussing before we came on air that. Um, I, I only really fancied um, uh, Gonalons and, and Valbuena to score, and Dear Carby's penalty was absolutely brilliant. So I think young players stepping up, taking those penalties, 
confidently executing them fantastic well. There's a lot of positives from Leon, obviously winning the tie and great performance. So they can be really confident going to the semi-finals. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, again, as a Leon fan, I, I, I try to poke holes in what they're doing. I want them to be <laughs> as successful as possible. But I do think there's a lot to be said also for what they've gone through over the last week, both the incidents yeah. uh, at, at the Park OL and at Bastia at the weekend. I know that some of those players, Jale, Talisa, Lacazette, hadn't made the trip. But nevertheless, as a team, the emotional impact of that, those events can't be underestimated. And, you know, we saw with Dortmund how that was probably weighing pretty heavily on those players' minds. And I know, again, I'm not trying to compare, you know, some overweight fan throwing a punch at you with, you know, being on a bus, with being on a bus that's been bombed. But mm. certainly matters that could distract the players off the pitch. And I think that Leon did handle that really well. I think that uh, one thing I would take away from the game, and I want to get your take on this as well, is I, re- I was really impressed with how uh, how well Quarantine Toliso played in a more forward-looking role. And I wondered if you think that's something that uh, could give Leon a little bit more punch going forward uh, as they if they try and hold on to fourth place and and perhaps uh, win this competition. Yeah, I think it is. I think it was a it was it was a really good idea. I think Lacazette benefits from somebody playing sort of off him or near him, but almost not quite. But you know, a, a sort of a French sort of nine and a half, like Payet did at the Euros, and that really helped you. Not quite the same for Toulouse. Obviously, he's sort of playing that sort of four-two-three-one and that sort of attacking midfield role. But I think it's Lacazette still benefits from the same sort of same sort of support. So normally, you get Leon in this situation would play four-three-three, uh, and that midfield three would be a little bit more flat, and you get Toulouse playing alongside Golanons and Toussaint in there a little bit more, but. If him pushed further forward, I think that gave him a little bit, as you said, a little punch in in the attacking third, and it it also gave more options for the wider men when Cornet and Valbena, who especially Valbena, will cut inside, and there's there, there's options for, for you know more options for those two players on the ball, and perhaps even for the Golanos and Tusa looking sort of when they look to pass forward, and look to look to sort of impetus to progress the play. So yeah, I liked it a lot, and I, I think that when Leon found themselves in those attacking thirds. They, they passed the ball really well and created, we said they've created those chances. They did create those chances. They weren't sort of happened upon, there, there were mistakes, but you can, Leon can take credit for many of those, many of those openings because they had some incisive sort of direct play and they had options on the ball when in the, in sort of the last sort of 30 yards. So I think Toliso looks good in that position. So perhaps that's something that, that Genesio will look to, to maintain going forward. Yeah. Of the different side, Leon, that's Ajax, Manchester United, and, and Celta Vigo. Any of those seem more favorable or a more difficult draw? Um, I personally think that United are the, the Manchester United are the best team left in the competition. And if I was Leon, I'd want to avoid them for now. I think in a one-off final, perhaps, uh, you know, they've got a little bit more chance of anything happening in that game. But over two legs, it would be very difficult to, to see them progress. But then we saw Antelope cause, them, cause United a lot of trouble over both games. And you have to say that Leon are a superior team to, to Andelect. Celta Vigo um, is an interesting one. I think I'd fancy Leon there, but um, Iago Aspas, Liverpool fans remember, he's been absolutely fan- fantastic for, for, for Celta Vigo this season. And they've, they've got some exciting attacking players up there and they're good at home. So there's, there's, there's difficulty there. Ajax... I think are possibly the weakest side left in the competition. They've done well to overcome Schalke, but I would, I would, if I was Leon, I, I'd fancy myself against a young, a young uh, Ajax team over two legs. So perhaps that might be the slightly best draw. But again, all three games would be very difficult, and Leon are in a fight. Whatever, whatever happens, I think. Yeah, I, I, I would say I wouldn't have to, wouldn't agree with that. Uh, briefly before we move on to Liga, uh, that's. 
had a rather entertaining match against PSG. Uh, losing mm. 3-2 in the, at the end as, as Blazing Tweedy scored at, at the death. But I wanted to ask, Renard Kohad was suspended for this team, but Philippe, for this match, but Philippe Hensberger also left out Ismail Asar, Jan Juf, Ivan Bayou, Cech Diabate, and George Mondek from his starting lineup. Now, what I want to ask is a more overarching question, not about this match, but Mets gave PSG a really tight match, if you recall, in the Coupe de Ligue back in January. Uh, mm. they, PSG needed a pair of headers from set pieces from Thiago Silva to, to get what they got out of that match. It was a 2-0 win. They played well in that match. Um, so I guess it's sort of a two-part question for you here. Is it fair with relegation such a threat to rotate so many key players with, at this point in the season? And secondly, is it fair to other teams uh, that are chasing PSG in that title race hmm. to play such a weak inside, uh, knowing the potential implications it could have for the title race? It is a, it's a very interesting question because clearly it, it turned out eventually that Philip Hinchberger almost sort of sacrificed his game a little bit. He didn't think they were going to get anything out of it. They've got Laurie on this weekend, big game for them at the bottom. You know, I think probably four points keeps keeps Mets up and beating Laurie on would be a huge step towards that. And he clearly prioritised that this week. And he only really started, you mentioned, he only really started with, you know, two players perhaps you can consider first choice in Decore and, and Bisevac possibly. But... I think from Mets' point of view, they they kind of have to play it as they see it, and they can't really they can't really be worrying about other teams and 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 how it reflects on on the league. They kind of have to worry about themselves a little bit. So I think it is a really interesting question because we've seen Premier League teams in the past. Seen to remember what Mick McCarthy was at Wolves going to Manchester United. They lost three 0 in a midweek game, mm-hmm. and they kind of rested players. So uh, they got fined, I seem to remember, for that. So there is precedent for, for, for the league, you know, or leagues anyway, coming down on teams who are doing this. But from Mets' point of view, I think they, they, they're, they're within their rights to, to play whichever team they, they deem fit. It's an unfortunate situation that this game was rearranged. If it was at the weekend when the Coupe de League final was on, which was originally meant to be played, it would, you know, there wouldn't be any chance of, of, of Philip Hinchberg arresting um, too many of his players. I think it was because it was a, it was a midweek game. And as we saw, when Saar, Dufour and Decor and Diabate came off the, off the bench, they, they were fantastic and got Mets back into the, into the game. And if Juf scores that free kick that hits the bar towards the end before between his header, you know, they, they might even win this game. So, it wasn't like they rolled over, although they, they were very quiet for the first hour. They, they, they still proved that the, obviously the, the weaker team with some additions later in the game still competed. So I think Mets were within their rights to, to play whichever team they, they deem fit. But um, the, the PSG's rivals and will be a little bit miffed, I think, given that they did start with that weakened team. But I don't think there's much they can really complain about. I think it's down to Mets. And it was a great game. It was fantastic. And they, you know, they, they proved that they're, they've got a deep enough squad to challenge PSG and uh, even with a weakened team. So fair play to them. All right. I, yeah, I think I have to agree. I, I think that the idea of penalties is a little bit ridiculous. I mean, Mets do still have matches against relegation rivals coming up, and there's every chance that they can get six points from matches like Lorient and mm-hmm. have that be enough to progress. Suspension, uh, Jeremy Smith on Twitter also mentioned that um, some of those players were on potentially a booking away from missing a match, uh, and that could, that could potentially have come into play as well. Uh, as Liga does have that policy that three bookings over the span of 10 matches does incur a one-match suspension. Uh, just briefly with our previews, uh, Nathan was the only one of us to record any sort of points last week. Uh, he did get two points. 
uh, two correct results from the three matches we looked at. We are going to keep with Mets moving into this weekend's previews. Uh, Silva and Marvo will miss uh, Laurent's Laurent hosting Mets after suffering a hamstring injury. Uh, he could be out for up to three weeks, according to the club. How important, first of all, has he been in Laurent's recent revival? And secondly, how should the team set up in his absence? One op- one option would be uh, Jimmy Cabo coming in in a straight swap. The team's also played a 4-3-3 at times, perhaps with what, Majid Warius on the left and Roman Foto on the right. What are your thoughts on Marvo's importance and uh, how Lorient should set up for this match? Um, yeah, I, I think, first of all, Marvo has been, been a, bit of a bit of a revelation for Lorient. I don't know that they really expected to be, him to be this influential when they signed him over the summer and he, he was out injured a lot at the start of the year and only really sort of started playing around November time. Um, you know, didn't last 90 minutes until December and he's become perhaps the most, perhaps easily actually, the most creative attacking player. Um, he creates a lot of the chances for Warris and, and Benjamin McAndrew, who, who have both been fantastic in this sort of, this revival they've had over the last sort of three or four or five weeks. But Marvo is the one that provides that sort of, that, that that spark that perhaps players like Philip Otto and Jimmy Cabu don't necessarily possess. They they're very tricky, very pacey wingers who can cross the ball and you know they can at their best be exciting players and, and influential players. But Marvo perhaps has the guile and vision that for a side like Lorient is 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 really invaluable and especially in this league he's he's really shown that he can be influential over an extended period. I think since the turn of the year he's been arguably their best player, at least consistently. He's had some fantastic performances. So, yeah, I think he's going to be a big miss for, for them. How they should set up? I, I think Lorient, it's in their DNA to play 4-4-2 since, since Christian Gorkov was there. They, you know, it's, it's kind of been ingrained into that club. And I'd like to see them keep that 4-4-2. I think um, Ripoll did for, for, for most of his tenure. He switched to 4-1-4-1 occasionally as well, mixed it up a little bit, which worked. But I think overall, Cassoni's realised that the best the best way to get the best out of the, t- the squad he has is to play 4-4-2 and keep Mukanjo and Morris in attacking areas. And then Mukanjo's been moved out wide uh, to the right-hand side on occasion in, re- in recent weeks, which I don't know really suits him. I think he's, what you know, from, from Lauren's point of view, their most effective player in that he's going to be... he's keep scoring goals even if Lorient are you know struggling at the wrong end of the table so I think 4-4-2 is the way to go for them so I think they're going to have they would have to sort of replace Marvo with, with Cabo I like Cabo a lot I don't think he's as, he's quite as good as Silva and Marvo but he he's sort of very tricky and very committed and I I think that he he's something that a player that can perhaps create something out of nothing a goal or a chance using using his that that sort of sort of stocky kind of skill he's got which is which is quite really quite uh good at, at times he's he's a he's a very good player so although they'll miss Marvo's guile in in sort of midfield areas I think they can need to keep that 4-4-2 and and stick stick to the what served them well so for the Potu and and, and Cabo for me either side of Warris and and keep Makanju alongside Warris up front I think that's that suits Lorient and suits their squad, and it's what's what served them well in this sort of mini revival. So hopefully, Gina, hopefully, um, Cassoni, sorry, will 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 keep that up. Yeah, I can't say I have to disagree. That four four two has looked really, really good. It's a little bit callow, but he's shown some good flair and, and spark it, and hopefully, he can have that create until that. Uh, well, predictions then. Um, I'm going to say 1-1. One, one. I thought about that myself. Uh, I'm going to go to, I think I'll as likely here, build a net of Flayton. I think I, w- I wouldn't put much past nets, especially if, if they've obviously rotated 
for this match. Uh, just two more matches to look at here. Uh, another one involves a relegation fight in Mount, and it's probably that any of those relegation candidates have. And given Nock's good form under Sergio Conceição, uh, the visitors will be missing Precious Nakuma, though. Uh, again, that's three yellow cards in 10 matches. The question do Con regret not bolstering the squad in January? Uh, a lot of the players that they have unavailable for this match, uh, say Frederick Gilbert, uh, have been long term injuries uh, or, or veteran players that uh, perhaps couldn't be relied upon given their age. Did they miss a trick of not buying someone? Or was Patrice Garand right to persist with the squad he has? I'm possibly. I, I think Con will probably be okay this season. So if they stay up, um, which I think is sort of about half of them, I know they had a great season last year and they, they really challenged the top sort of top five in the first half of the year and, and finish end up finishing mid table. But they're they're a side that would not you'd expect to sort of finish 14th, 15th. So if they stay up come to this year, they, that's about par for them. You, possibly they could have perhaps invested a little bit more in the in the transfer window and that would definitely be the case that the fans will, you know, they'll definitely say that if they do get relegated, which I don't think they, they will, but it's definitely, you know, not beyond the rounds of possibility by any means. So I think he's been unlucky with Gilbert getting injured in the last game. Who's I think he's a good player, and I was surprised Bordeaux let go. So he's a, he's a you know he's a he's a worthwhile you know acquisition for them. So that's at least one th- one area they did try and strengthen. Um, they do rely heavily on on Julian Ferry, obviously, who's sort of ever present for them when he's fit in in midfield. And and now thirty four, perhaps he's on his powers on the way a little bit. And Ronnie Rodelon, who Ronnie Rodelon, sorry, who's since he uh, since he joined from from Lille has been a, a revelation really he's been possibly easily their best player this season and they really do rely on him to score the goals and to to create assists and create chances without him i think they would get relegated to be honest so they've got just enough um i i don't know that they'll they'll regret not buying anybody but they they may still end up doing so i think over the summer they will hopefully look to strengthen in a number of areas because otherwise they'll they could be a little bit further down the league next season if maybe Rod Lang gets poached by a, a sort of a slightly bigger side and they can't ad- adequately replace him, that, 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 you know, that they'd be in trouble. So I think perhaps they've left their sort of ability to strengthen and, until the summer. There's also the question of resources, whether they've got the resources to go out and buy players and sign players in, because you know, Gilbert's on loan, I think, from Bordeaux. So they, they, they perhaps... Yeah, so they probably don't have the resources to go and to, to spend too much anyway. So they've perhaps you know, sort of tried to get by and, and, and reassess in the summer. So I think that's up. If they don't, then in hindsight, yeah, it probably was a terrible decision. But I think for now, I can understand their reasoning and, and they've probably got just enough to stay up anyway. So, and hopefully they will. So Rodolan, huge for them. Without him, I think they'd be in trouble. Yeah, Khan do come into this match with the worst form in the league. Just two draws mm. from their last six and 13 goals conceded over that same period. And not exactly a great uh, time for the Norman side. I think we had seen, you know, perhaps some shoots of optimism over the transfers they had made. I mean, I, I can't say I disagree with you on Gilbert. I think he has been really impressive. Uh, the youngsters, McKengo and Carmo, have shown decently at times as well. But they've also struggled with injury. Uh, but now that Ivan Santini has really not been amongst the goals in the last few matches, uh, it's made it a lot tougher. And they, they did manage to get a late draw against Mets last week. Uh, but had they not earned that, I think things would be looking quite a bit more grim uh, for Patrice Garon's side. Bearing that in mind, uh, not I, I do struggle. I do wonder with 
not only the play of Nakuma, the goals, but also how fiery and, and energetic he can be on the pitch as a natural leader. I don't necessarily know that Nott will be a top form here, but I think they might have enough to earn a draw. I'll go with 1-1 one, one as a result here. I'm going to say 2-0 Nott. 2-0 Nott in away from home. All right, and now turning our attentions to our European victors who are playing each other this weekend in Sunday's last match. Uh, Leon hosting Monaco. Now, Leon played Monaco tough in their first league match, winning 3-1, but I, thir- I certainly think we can agree that Benjamin Mendy's dismissal uh, did play a big role in that result. He got sent off for kicking Karin Tentaliso. Uh, so my question then would be, can Leon switch gears quickly enough, given their exertions uh, this evening? And also, in a larger sense, can they afford to relax, uh, given that they're now nine points ahead of Saint-Étienne in seventh place, and sixth place is probably still a strong bet to get European play, given the involvement of both Monaco and PSG in the Coupe de France. Yeah, I, I think they can. I think we talked about Monaco, you know, balancing the two competitions. I don't think Leon necessarily need to do that. I think they've they've got options in attacking areas. They can rotate a lot more. They're not going to finish third. Obviously, mathematically, they can't finish third now. So they don't need to worry about that. And you would say that for them to finish seventh, it would be catastrophic a downturn in their in their form for them to slip that far so i have a feeling that sixth will be okay for the europa league you'd imagine the winner of that psg monaco semi-final will beat gangor or angers in the in in the in the coupe de france final so for leon i think they should be focusing on europa league because the only way perhaps the only way they keep lacazette in the summer is to be a champions league club and then the, the only way they're going to do that is to win the Europa League. And Lacazette is huge to them. And a number of their players could could leave this summer, as you've mentioned before on the podcast. So Champions League football is a way to keep hold of players like Toliso, or at least from perhaps all Asses' all point of view, charge you know, higher prices. So I think the Europa League should definitely be their focus. And although they should definitely not give up on the league, you know, if they, should, they should aim to finish fourth. But I think, because that's obviously, we would have to worry about qualifying. So there's still, for the Europa League next season, Nettien and Leo struggled with that this season. So there's, that is still a, a carrot for them. But I think overall, focusing on Europa League has to be there, has to be their priority. And I would expect Genetio to rotate this, this weekend and perhaps uh, between uh, semi-final legs as well. I think that would be a, a smart move from their point of view. I think the Europa League has to be priority. Leon, you would expect, would finish in that in that top six. So I think they they, they can change change gears enough and, and play those. So a few of the players who didn't start in in Turkey tonight. So I think got to, they've got to focus on the Europa League for now on, and and they should finish in the top six. It'd be I imagine you'd be pretty disappointed, Eric, if they finished seventh this season. So. Um, yeah. yeah, well, it, was, it would also mean Setechen coming into form, and I think mm. the odds of Leon slipping are some, to some degree, there, but the odds of Setechen suddenly catching fire and winning, say, five of their last, that yeah. last seven matches is <laughs> probably a little bit less likely. I, I do worry, though. I mean, as I, as I mentioned, you know, it, it does make a big difference. Starting your season in late July and playing important competitive matches, and again, you know, given Leon's team coefficient, given the expectations that, that, are, that surround the club, uh, they're going to be forced, whether it's Inesio or another manager, they're going to be forced to take those matches, those playoff matches, very, very seriously uh, in, in late July and early August in those, in those qualifying rounds. And that, that I think, is what, what worries me. Uh, Bordeaux's good form, I think... Yeah, they, I, think I believe Bordeaux still has to play PSG, uh, so there is that. But I do worry a little bit about how... How how Leon are going to be affected by this in the league? I think that Bordeaux, with a little bit less to worry about, 
uh, might be slight favorites for fourth for me. And I think that would be potentially damaging for Leon's chances were they not to win the Europa League and be forced to go into go into this match. So far, they've managed to balance things pretty well, uh, but I, I think I could see Bordeaux uh, slipping ahead of uh, Leon this weekend, potentially. They're two points behind right now, and I think Leon, obviously, <laughs> facing Monaco, have the more intimidating match of the two. So what then will be your score prediction? Um, it's, it's such a difficult call, isn't it? I'm going to say 2-1 Monaco. I'm actually going to go for a 1-1 one, one draw. Uh, I think that... I don't want to see this happen because I do want Monaco to win the title. Uh, but I think that we might see, start to see some, some tired legs uh, from the hosts... Or from the visitors, rather. Uh, given that uh, Monaco don't quite have that same squad depth. Um, of course, the lack of Lacazette, you know, it does, again, we don't know what, anything about his injury at this point, but I wouldn't bet on him being the starting 11 come Sunday. So even with that, though, I, I think that Leon can pull off a sneaky result. They've had a, they've had a decent uh, run of form. I know we, we look back at that 6-1 that basically guaranteed them second place last season, uh, but they've done pretty well against Jardim's uh, Monaco in, in the past over the past almost three seasons now, and mm. I would wager them pinching just a point, uh, perhaps perhaps against the uh, perhaps to the surprise of many. That will do it for this week uh, for Adam White. I've been Eric Devin. Be, do be sure to follow us on Twitter at gffn. Visit our website www.getfootballnewsfrance.com. And if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, be sure to rate and review us. Uh, it does help us get a little bit more visibility for those of you searching for football podcasts on that platform. Um, ben, uh, thank you, and we'll we'll be back next week. Uh, next week, we are going to have a, quite a handful of guests on. The show will probably run a little bit longer than usual, an hour or perhaps even more, as we look at League Duh. Uh, we're going to have on Steve Wiss and two of your colleagues from Football Radar. Uh, oh, excellent. That's, that's uh, Max Quelch, Wools, and Will. Sorry, how do you say his last name? Is it Gain? Yeah, again, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're going to have, a, I guess, a cadre of football uh, radar folks on. So we'll be looking forward to uh, a few matches and, um, and previewing, or reviewing, sorry, the Coupe de, Coupe de France matches next week. But we will spend, oh, probably a good 20, 25 minutes on League 2, uh, looking at some of the surprise players, surprise stories from that league, uh, and looking forward to what some of these teams might bring in terms of promotion. I know we've been pleasantly surprised by the likes of Angers uh, and Caen as well in the recent past uh, coming up. And they faded a little bit, but being perhaps a little bit surprising in the way that they've uh, taken to life in the top flight. Uh, but thanks again. Do tune in on Monday. We've got the regular show. Nathan will be away, so I'll be hosting that uh, with Philip, and we'll have a guest to be announced as well. So well done to the French teams this week in Europe. We'll be back with you uh, in a week's time with lots of chat about League Duh.